interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. Welcome to the Raw Selection Private Equity Podcast, interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking their secrets to success. Joining us today is Nevin Raj, co-founder and COO of Grata. Welcome and thank you for sharing your insights into the industry. Alex, thanks for having me. Really excited to share more. Perfect. So, Nevin, as we always start, if you could give us a 60 to 90 second breakdown of you, please. Yeah, sure, Alex. Uh, I think you gave me a pretty good intro, as you said. Um, my name is Nevin, founder and COO of Grata. We're a New York-based software startup that helps private equity firms, investment bankers, corporates, and other deal makers source their next middle market investment. A little background on me. I graduated from Harvard in 2013, studied applied math, and actually went into consulting and private equity myself after college. Had seen the day-to-day pain which was the nights and weekends I spent trying to find information on private middle market companies and saw that there was just a huge gap in the space. Um, I also had experience before that at Jefferies and at Axial. And so it's seen the problem over and over from different angles, saw an opportunity with more and more information going online. So teamed up with one of my college classmates, Andrew Biskoski, to tackle this problem and, and create a solution in the market. And that was back actually five years ago when we first started and have made a lot of progress since. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know you're obviously in the, what I got is venture world at the moment, but we regard the old school of private equity encompassing uh, venture. So what kind of one mistake have you seen either private equity, venture capital firms, or their portfolio companies making and what actions would you recommend or take to correct them, please? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And that's, Actually, part of the inspiration for me starting Grata is what I saw in my personal experience, as well as that of my peers, is there were very limited sourcing tactics and sourcing strategies used. And this happens in anywhere across private market investing from late stage private equity all the way down to early stage venture investing is where this industry has started and where it was, call it five to 10 years ago is everyone expected deals to come to them. They built relationships, worked with bankers and other intermediaries, and deals would always come inbound to you. But what's happened is that there's been such an influx of capital into the private markets, Um, dry powder is at an all-time high, that now firms have to be more strategic with how they source deals. And the ones that aren't actively sourcing and thinking about their sourcing channels from a really a business development lens are losing out on good deals. And what that leads to down the road is more competitive deals, paying higher multiples, ultimately lower returns. That's probably the single biggest mistake um, that I've seen in general in private equity. And granted, that's changing pretty rapidly. You have some firms that started this and actually founded their fund on the thesis that they're going to source proprietary deals and now more and more are following suit. So while it is the biggest mistake, it is something in the industry that's changing quite rapidly. Perfect. And and I agree with you. I think 
Something that, that we certainly see is not enough uh, private equity venture firms are on that kind of sourcing proactively. Um, I know a few firms that, that certainly have that down um, pretty well. And, you know, the term proprietary deal flow is, is uh, you know, it's pretty rare, I think. I think there's a lot of firms that claim it, but there's very little. I know one in the UK that's mostly proprietary deal flow and a firm in Germany that has its own deal origination team. And they're really, really proactive with it and BD and cold calling. Uh, funnily enough, they actually invest in software, uh, software businesses across the DAC region. And then there's a business also I know in the US within, in California that has that real aggressive, and I mean that in a positive perspective of, uh, of actually deal flow but you know i talked to hundreds thousands of uh, private equity venture firms and three of them come to mind that have what i'd regard as a really good um process so that definitely tells you something uh that's definitely missing so i think what you guys are doing is is definitely opening a door there totally see that and you know what's interesting in the industry too is that it's it's not that every deal is going to be proprietary it's all about setting those expectations the way what we see it evolving to is almost mirroring tech sales in a way or any type of professional services industry where you create a business development org that has your outbound and your calling and emailing. You also work your partnerships, you work referrals, you have marketing. At this point, if you're a firm and you don't have a website, you're at a disadvantage for being able to get deals because every entrepreneur, first thing they do is look you up, look up your website, look up your LinkedIn, try to see who you are. And so what we're seeing is really this convergence to a multi-channel approach for sourcing with the biggest mistake being missing that outbound and proprietary component. Yeah, I absolutely agree. What What do you think that firms, you know, I suppose you, you're seeing a lot of that. So what do you think private equity venture firms, you know, should be doing in order to drive that, uh, obviously, pipeline of proprietary uh, deal flow? Yeah, it really starts with first top down from leadership making a commitment to proprietary sourcing. And that commitment can be a shift in mindset and a shift in workflow at the firm. And once that mindset is made and leadership buys in, then to act on it, it usually takes a set of resources. And what's nice now is that that does, the resources doesn't mean you need an army of analysts or associates to do this. It takes one person leading up the initiative, a head of business development, a director of business development, who can then manage technology and different resources to have a multiplier on their efforts. So it really starts with that commitment, getting that initial investment and someone to lead the charge. And then from there, what it takes is you need some store of records. So you need a CRM, you need a data stack. So you need to be able to actually get information on companies and know how to contact them. And then on top of that, we've seen other firms, once, they, once they've implemented a CRM or a data stack, go into an automation stack to help them reach out to companies without even ever opening their laptop and typing an email. And then others have gone to a predictive and a proactive stack, which is another layer on top of that. Sometimes they'll hire data scientists and engineers to help them uh, actually pick the best fields. It's, there's a few articles out there uh, online about venture firms and private equity firms having robots or algorithms pick their deals. Those are the ones who are at that fourth tier of sophistication. But it doesn't take that to get started. It really just takes commitment, really one person dedicated to it, and your basic CRM and data stack. 
I've not even heard of any firms using AI in uh, uh, in that uh, in that motion. So that's uh, <laughs> I'm even I'm uh, that's new to me. So um, based on looking at, I know you guys are big on kind of research and data. Um, what are you seeing as kind of you know, big trends in either private equity, venture capital? What are you seeing as kind of the investment trends and opportunities as we? Uh, say we go through this will be launched in kind of march april time uh this year so as we've uh bridge into the second quarter uh of the year yeah the single biggest trend happening in private equity right now is that there aren't enough big deals for the amount of capital that's out there and the challenge and what that's actually leading to is that more and more private equity firms pursuing roll-up strategies and that means they're buying smaller companies than they normally would as a platform, and then tucking in even smaller, lower middle market deals to create a company of scale for their capital deployment. And the industries that tend to be more favorable towards rollups are highly fragmented industries. You need enough companies to acquire enough lower middle market businesses to even use that strategy. So we see a lot of activity happening in commercial and residential services. We also see a lot in healthcare and out-of-pocket and provider networks. We see a ton happening in software. This is the whole unbundling and rebundling of the ERP. So as we see, Oracle, SAP, Microsoft have a ton of different features. And then there are many other software companies that take a sliver of what some of the big companies do and do it really well. So a rebundling of software. And we've seen a lot happen with distribution as well, supply chain distribution, last mile delivery. Um, these sectors tend to be highly fragmented and haven't attracted traditional interest like consumer has in the last several years. That's interesting. We see a lot of that moving forward. I suppose we can see a lot of what happens in venture, which eventually moves into, into private equity, but certainly I mirror the amount of um, software opportunities that we see in businesses that are now moving into that space and it's certainly um, encouraged us uh, to bring in a specialist in the uh, in the tech and therefore focused on SaaS and software space for us to maximize that opportunity for the portfolio companies uh, as well so I definitely uh, definitely agree with that and also congratulations is in order as I believe you guys have uh, just received a funding round how did you find going through that that most recent one yeah well Practice what you preach. The uh, the firm that well, so we actually raised that round from Craft Ventures, who had reached out to us proactively uh, almost a year and a half ago, and we built a relationship over quite a long time. And they had seen our growth. We grew actually 10x in the last year. And as they saw us grow through 2021, got excited about the business, and we started talking about investment back in November. Ended up closing that in December, and. We're really excited to actually deploy. We're going to spend over $20 million in our product this year alone. So we're really excited to take the investment and double down on some really exciting initiatives that are going to push us into a new and actually push the whole industry into evolving their outbound sourcing. Sorry to interrupt here. Just a quick note to highlight our new sponsor, Greta. The private equity market is rapidly shifting to a data-driven, proprietary deal sourcing standard. Greta provides the window into over 7 million middle market private companies. Contact Greta so you can access the market first. Request a demo at www.grata.com. Now back to the podcast. 
Excellent. And well done to uh, to Craft for uh, their proactive outreach, uh, which has obviously won your won your business. It doesn't always work out for every P and VC firm that that proactive outreach, every business isn't going to turn into a deal. Can't be uh, uh, believers of that, but you know you're definitely going to get more uh, by doing that. So uh, uh, definitely encourage um, that kind of step. Uh, for every firm to be uh, to certainly be considering, but then also taking uh, taking action on it. What what has it been like, and how have you guys kind of found as a business going out receiving that venture funding? You know, what advice I suppose would you give on top of obviously having a uh, an outbound you know business development team? What advice would you give to to venture firms, to private equity firms, to to make that process? you know, improve that process to make it smoother, to make it more attractive to companies like yourself? What advice would you give them? Yeah, there are a couple pieces. Even though we, we took an investment from Kraft, throughout the way, we've built a lot of great relationships. I just want to emphasize that it's a long game. An investment, oftentimes, there you can run a process, but you oftentimes take an investment from someone you've built a relationship with over time who's shown value to you. And all the different firms that we were talking with back in November and December, most of them, we had known them for over a year. And even though we weren't right for them at the time, back in 2020, when we were raising our seed round, we grew into their investment criteria. Our business model shifted to something that was more attractive for them. And if we had been, if we'd had a conversation and said, well, you're too small for us now, we wouldn't have had the conversation a year down the road. And so we, we saw that nurturing and relationship building was a really important step after the initial outbound and sourcing step. The other piece of advice is actually for the entrepreneurs. The other side is a lot of times it's on you to nurture the relationship too. Giving your investors and even the ones who are, are not currently invested in you quarterly or monthly updates really goes a long way. And we spent a lot of time in the last year formalizing that process, creating a newsletter just allowing people to see the progress that we're making and not only from a product lens, but even from a company building lens. And that gets people excited. And we were able to get different pieces of advice from different investors along the way who didn't invest in us, but may invest in a future round. Great, uh, great advice for anybody listening to improve their process. So you guys have obviously had some incredible growth as, as Grata. Or kind of what, what would you put that down to as Grata's success, you know, fundamentally in increasing, you know, subscription revenue growth and just that kind of overall, you know, what you've achieved and obviously, you know, significant funding round increase, which a lot of firms will, will never see and die well before they even get anywhere near it. So one big lever of growth for us was actually thinking about the private equity ecosystem as more than traditional private equity. A lot of our customers are principal investors that invest in private markets, but we've really seen an expansion to take, for example, on one end, search fund, one person private equity firms, so to speak, trying to do one deal, all the way up to hedge funds who traditionally invest in public markets who are now allocating 25 to 50% of their portfolio into private markets family offices, and other non-traditional sources of capital, specialty lending, investment banks, writing principal deals alongside with their private equity clients. And that really increased our, our TAM and our target accounts tenfold. That's been one. It's really expanding our aperture to the deal-making ecosystem. The second, just better technology. We, we have a hard problem to solve. And there are companies out there 
and some of the legacy players do this by putting bodies on the problem. They have hundreds, thousands of people trying to find data on private lower middle market companies. We really took a tech first approach and that's allowed us to scale our coverage. So we have a, we can see more companies. And now what we're doing in 2022 is going deeper on those companies. And if you have, if this were a human based approach and not a tech enabled approach, we just need the same amount of people to keep our data set fresh. But because we've taken technology, we're able to explore new levers and new dimensions of our data that couldn't be done otherwise. And then finally, not to be cliche here, but we really built a strong team. We've done our own sourcing. We've sourced our talent. We've built a really strong team across our engineering product and commercial orgs. And every single person we've hired is a rock star. And I think those things have really carried us through and have shown anyone who speaks to our team from a customer support angle all the way to a sales conversation will probably tell you the same thing. Definitely, obviously, a big advocate of that. Um, bringing rock stars and superstars into your business is definitely the right way to go about it. I'd be in the wrong job if uh, if I certainly didn't agree with that. Just moving on to that talent element, what what three attributes do you you believe make a top performer, make that rock star, make that A player, as you just mentioned? Yeah, when we look for talent, and it's going to actually vary a lot by the role and the seniority, but the three, like the common denominator for that. I would say first is dedication. Do they care? To join a startup, join a company in the early days, you have to really believe in the people, the product, the mission, and that carries a long way because we're not a nine to five job. We're a get the job done, whatever that takes. Everyone's really plugged in and that's, that's number one that I look for. Number two is knowledge, but I bring knowledge into two categories. One is adaptability. You don't really have to know everything, but we want you to know something and we want you to apply that to us. So oftentimes we'll hire people who are maybe in an adjacent industry or have done something close, but not exactly what we do to then learn from the best practices to build a really diverse group of people that is always learning. And then the last one is coachability. That's the other side of adaptability. It's what you don't know and being able to learn what you don't know and adapt and shift the way you work on a day-to-day to the way and we do things in our culture. To, to summarize, really, really look for dedication, adaptability, and, and coachability. Yeah, I strongly agree with the, uh, well, I agree with all three, but certainly coachability is a uh, is a big element. You know, someone comes in with that ego, they, they know it all and they understand it. You just can't get anywhere. Even if they're really good, they'll end up you know, not being really good and then getting upset that they're not at the top. So uh, definitely, uh, definitely agree with those, uh, with those three. So Yeah. And, and the, uh, the, the notable omission there is, is, is raw talent because we believe that as, as you were saying, if someone's coachable and they're dedicated and they know a little bit of something, we're certain that they can get there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, and then you just invest in them and keep upskilling them and keep pushing them and, and expanding their uh, capabilities uh, to develop those people. Um, I'm a big believer in attitude and drive and determination uh, in individuals. And, you know, uh, there's not a single person that's answered that question by saying they have the right experience and they have this and they have that. You know, part of that has to be a given. You know, you're not going to bring somebody in from school to um, 16 to start running your company. But 
you know, there's an mm-hmm. element of those attributes are absolutely needed for somebody to be a top performer. Yeah, I definitely mirror uh, mirror those three. So what do you, you know, you're obviously selling a service into the private equity industry. You're also being funded by venture. You've had, you know, the merry dance of speaking with various different venture businesses as well. What do you love about the private equity industry um, and what do you dislike about it? What what we find exciting right now, the industry is changing a lot. And I've always liked tech and gadgets and in the private equity industry, there's so much development technology. We're just in the sourcing portion of it, but there's a lot happening with diligence and other portfolio value creation. And that's really exciting to be at the helm of a dynamic, really evolving industry. On the flip side, one of the challenges is that it takes so long to see the returns and to see the ROI. So you really have to have a long-term mindset. I would love to go up to our customers and ask them, what's the impact you've seen from Grata? And they could say, well, we source more deals, we source better deals. But to really see it play into their returns, it takes five, seven, 10 years. And that can be a challenge in the industry because you don't really, if you don't move and you're not a first mover, you don't really see the impact until close to a decade after. Well, certainly, uh, it can be, yeah, I agree. It can be a long time till, uh, till things materialize. What, what are your... I always like to know people's influences and, you know, maybe get a book or a recommendation of another podcast, YouTube. What are your influences? What do you read? What do you watch? What do you listen to? Yeah. Reading. Interestingly enough, I've been a, I read a lot of different like VC blogs. And one that I, I really liked was, was bottom up, which is written by David Sachs. David Sachs actually runs craft ventures. So we had followed Kraft's model of building a SaaS business. And I think that's part of why they, Found our found Grata an interesting investment, um, so I recommend that to any SaaS founder to read bottom up. I've also liked first rounds material. They have a lot of good blogs about building SaaS businesses and talent and technology. The other what I watch this is outside of the startup world, but I actually really like space and astrophysics. So I watch a lot of Brian Green and his videos on space, physics, uh, astronomy, and for listening, coming back to my uh, me being a startup nerd here, I love listening to how I built this by Guy Raz. There is a lot of good, a lot of good stories on there about entrepreneurs, founders, executives, and, and how they built their companies. And I often draw on that for inspiration for Grata. Interesting, very interesting. And uh, I, you know, again, using different ways to market businesses. You know, private equity in particular, if we separate that from venture, I do believe is is a world away um, with a lot of businesses about using different strategies to be able to engage people and, you know, sharing the advice if you're knowledgeable enough um, and writing things like books, running things like podcasts with people in your marketplace to listen to and engage in. You know, you could get 100 people, 200, 300 listeners um, on a podcast. And if, you know, you convert 10%, 5% of those into deals um, through that process and, and make investments, uh, it can make such a big difference um, to your deal flow. And again, we talk about proprietary uh, different avenues, and it's really interesting that you know maybe that you would, didn't end up going with craft ventures; you went with someone else because of they offered something different. But at least it's getting people in that kind of funnel of of, of your eco ecosystem and universe, so people know you're they're aware you exist, 
Um, and I think it's really interesting that that's therefore encouraged, you know, you guys to go, right, well, these clearly know what they're talking about. They've also fundamentally then you've read the book. You've also fundamentally then been reached out to them by proactively, and then you've ended up with an investment. So I think that's a really good way of, uh, of demonstrating the need for differentiation other than just running and knocking on an investment banker's door and, uh, and going down the, uh, the merry dance of who can pay the most to win a deal. So that's, that's really interesting. I'm glad you've shared that. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's, it's all about deploying an omni-channel strategy. Absolutely. And it's amazing how in marketing it goes across so many different facets and something I was hugely not really interested in, but then realized that, you know, recru- I'm a big believer that recruitment, search, executive search, whatever, you know, new title we put on it these days is in, in fundamentally based on marketing as in any area of sales. Um, and uh, that marketing piece is so important. But again, again, I could talk all day about that. So Nevin, you've shared a lot of really good information here and I really appreciate your insight. Um, how best, if anybody wants to reach out to you do they uh do they get in touch please yeah i'm always an email away so very easy you can reach me at nevin n-e-v-i-n at grata.com or if you want to see a demo of the product you can actually just go to our website at grata.com and submit your contact information and someone from our team will reach out perfect well nevin thank you very much for coming on board thank you very much for sharing and thank you very much for giving us an insight into areas of private equity and venture capital that I really do feel are missing uh, with regards to that. So I really appreciate you sharing your insight. Likewise, Alex. Thanks for having me on today. My absolute, absolute pleasure and all the best with the continued growth of, of Grad and what you guys are doing there. Very interesting. And as always, thank you very much for everybody who's uh, joined us and listening today. And of course, should you ever need any support for your private equity professionals or of course, your portfolio executive hiring, please do reach out to me at Raw Selection. But till the next time, keep smashing it and thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Podcast on www.raw-selection.com. 